0: bienvenidos, bienvenidas. Welcome back to New Books in Latin American Studies. I'm Pamela Fuentes, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Dr. Ignacio Aguiló about his new book, The Darkening Nation, Race, Neoliberalism, and Crisis, Crisis in Argentina. This book was published by the University of Wales Press this year as part of the Iberian and Latin American Studies series. Ignacio, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome. Uh, welcome, no, thank you, and, and re- I'm really uh, grateful that, that you are having me and uh, you're giving me the chance to, to discuss my, my book with you, so, um, yeah, thanks.
0: It's our pleasure to have you here. Uh, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself.
1: Okay, uh, yeah, Sure. Uh, I am. I work at the University of Manchester. I'm a lecturer in Latin American Culture Studies, which I think will be the equivalent to uh, an assistant professor in the U.S. system. I've been working at Manchester for uh, five years. This is my fifth year. Uh, I mainly deal with cultural production, uh, but I have a particular interest in race, uh, looking at uh, the different ways in which race. Mediates and shapes uh, social processes, focusing on uh, on literature, cinema, uh, music, art. So I work uh, across different forms of, of of cultural production, but with a a, a focus on on racial issues. Uh, so far, I have been mainly working on uh, Argentina, and now my latest project, uh, about which I can and uh, say a few words uh, later on it's about the Andean countries particularly Ecuador um, I come from Argentina and that's why my, I had an, a particular interest in this country uh, initially in my career academic career. Uh, I studied sociology in Argentina then I came to the UK to do my PhD which was more on on, on um, culture studies so I, I, I usually navigate between these two. Uh, disciplines not that they are very different but obviously as a sociology i didn't do much uh, literary analysis or uh, reading of of cultural texts and that's something that i developed later on while i was doing my phd Uh, but i like uh, this kind of mixed profile that i have because in my research yeah i focus on on cultural texts but i i always try to um put them in context and i like uh, particularly to integrate more sociological Uh, data and approaches in in my study of of, uh, cultural products.
0: So all of your interests are are very clear now and I can see the relation uh, with the book you wrote. But why did you decide to write The Darkening Nation? Why did you come up with the idea of exploring race and economic crisis in Argentina through the lens of a variety of cultural products?
1: Well, it stems Partly of my own experiences, uh, being in Argentina during this crisis, uh, 2001, 2002, but also the years before and and the, the years immediately after were uh, particularly uh, dramatic, and I, I experienced them quite um, closely because I was there. I participated in the protests. Uh, I follow all the different uh, political developments. They affect me directly. Uh, the context of crisis also. Of economic crisis also uh, it, it affected my my own life my um, my everyday uh, experiences so that was an episode in my life I never thought at that time I was uh, doing studying sociology and obviously I had a particular I had not only a personal but also an academic interest in, in, in what was going on but I never thought that that could become a research project because I didn't at that time ha- had uh, plans of becoming an ac- of of, uh, of an academic. Later on, I moved to Britain and uh, I, I I had to do a master's and uh, I was particularly interested interested in uh, subcultures, youth subcultures and and I decided to do a little bit of research on cumbia Vigera which is one of of the of the um, uh, cultural products that I studied in the in the book it's, it's, it's a muc- music subculture that uh, emerge in the shanty towns, uh, and I was particularly interested in reading this or analyzing this subculture from the point of view of the of the kind of the framework developed by Stuart Hall and other researchers in the UK and later on in the US. And one thing that I thought was interesting about Cumbia Vigera was how they uh, put race. At the center of its um, narrow, of its um, um, discourses, and this, and its uh, style, and and its particular ethos, ethos. So, so what is something I started to uh, get more, in, more, more, to do further reading on this, uh, and uh, connect, and I started to connect it with with things that have to do with, with my own uh, upbringing in Argentina and how race uh, um, intervenes. In, in in everyday interaction, but also how it shapes certain forms of national identity. And then I went back to uh, 2001 uh, and I started to realize how important race had been uh, in the ways in which people had uh, dealt with the crisis or how they had fell or lived the crisis. Uh, I started to ask questions, well, Why? How, how can an economic crisis was experienced by people as a a crisis well obviously as a financial crisis but as a crisis of, of national identity um, and particularly the role of race in this crisis of national identity. and then I started to connect uh, to make certain connections between uh, neoliberalism crisis and, and race in Argentina. and perhaps I need to provide a little bit of background on, uh, on, on how um, racial discourses, uh, participate in the definition of national identity in Argentina um, like any other country Argentina has its own narrative of exceptionality hmm? all countries need to present themselves as being different from anybody else uh, not that they are actually different but they need that uh, discourse in order to um, articulate a community right and in the case of Argentina, a very powerful discourse um, during the 20th century had been, uh, uh, um, was that the Argentinians were mainly white. And it was like um, it was a, a weird thing, like a, like a, like a white nation surrounded by these mixed race mestizo uh, countries in Latin America, and this discourse of exceptionality linked to whiteness. Um, uh, very ma- uh, but was based on on the notion that uh, indigenous people, uh, um, Afro-descendant people, uh, um, mixed race people, mixed race people who who live in Argentina in the 19th century had all more or less disappeared or were uh, quite marginal, and that most of the people, uh, the the current current inhabitants of Argentina came from, uh, they were descendants of European migrants who had come uh, at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, so there is, these, these are the foundations to, uh, to, for, for this course of, of, of difference, of we are different because we are, uh, we are all white and we are all coming from these Europeans. And this discourse has been very successful in articulating national identity in Argentina uh, but also abroad, it has been um, more or less successful because I remember one quote by Octavio Paz. He says uh, in this quote, uh, in this, uh, he says, the Mexicans come from the Aztecs, the Peruvians from the Incas, and the Argentinians from the boats. So this ah. idea of transatlantic immigration. and um, And if I look at my own family history, well, this is true because three of my four um, grandf- grandparents they they are Europeans. The, the other one is from the Middle East. Um, so, like any discourse, there is an element of a discourse of national and identity. There is an element of truth. It's true that Argentina, a lot of Argentinians have European ancestry. And actually, what I what I, I was able to to find out is that if you take uh, if you look at that particular time of the big waves of migration from Europe to other parts of the world and you look at settled societies like Australia, New Zealand, the United States, Canada, Argentina well, and all other Latin American countries, Argentina comes second uh, uh, after the United States in terms of the numbers of Europeans who migrated there. Uh, but there is a difference here. The United States already had a big, a large population. So the receiving population was quite Quite, quite big. But in the case of Argentina, the population was smaller. So it's true that Europeans shape Argentinian culture at that particular time of, of nation building or national affirmation. And I find statistics that at one point, uh, one, one out of three inhabitants of Buenos Aires, the capital, were uh, uh, Europeans. Uh, uh, around three millions uh, came. Uh, so uh, it's true that Argentina has a lot, a big European component. But it's also true that African people, uh, black people, Afro descendants, and indigenous people and mixed-rate people who were there before this big wave of immigration n- didn't necessarily disappear. What happened, and this is not something that I discovered, it's something that, that there is literature on the subject. What happened is that the state, put forward a very ambitious program of, uh, of whitening using the cultural apparatus of the state. So, for example, they invented particular sense, uh, categories in the census uh, that were used to uh, uh, make indigenous people or black people uh, kind of um, officially whites. For example, they invented the category of uh, trigueño for black people, so a black person wasn't officially black, was Trigueño, and Trigueño is a more ambiguous category. They recuperated the the, the idea of Criollo, which was present in in colonial Spanish America, which basically in colonial Spanish America, the Criollo was somebody born in the Americas, but who had um, uh, a European um, ancestry. I mean, most of the time it was used for other other, other, other people, but mainly the the idea of, of the criollo was uh, a, 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 an American Spaniard, right? So they used the category of criollo in the in at uh, the uh, in the late 19th century, early 20th century to um, uh, classify indigenous people. No? So in, uh, instead of writing down indigenous people, they would write criollo, and criollo had this ambiguity, right? Because it implies that there is a, a connection to to whiteness there and this is something that oscar chamosa a historian who works in the states has uh, researched a lot so they implemented different strategies in order to um, make this in a uh, non-white population uh, slowly uh, disappear uh, through uh, the framework of different uh, state classifications um, and they put forward this notion that uh, most Argentinians were uh, actually coming from, from the, the boats. Uh, and the, this, uh, stav- this, this, during this uh, crucial period of national affirmation in the first decades of the 20th century, while all these non-white people were being whitened uh, of, uh, according to, to these uh, different categories, Uh, and the state was claiming that whitening was almost complete and actually they stopped um, measuring race in census because they say it was not necessary. I think in in 1896, the director of the national census in Argentina says, well, we are not going to measure race anymore because everybody Mm. shares the same racial identity. So this helped establish a system of racial domination that continues throughout the 20th century and continues today in the sense that everybody's white so there is no racism but uh, uh, officially but uh, in everyday reality racism continues and a lot of people who are non-white are constantly being marginalized and, and they are subject to subject to racism etc so there is this this duplicity uh, with, with racism in Argentina is something that Nobody speaks about, it's something that non-white people have become invisible through, this, um, the, the, through the, the action of the structure of the state. Uh, and also race is something that people don't talk about. Mm, because wh- why should you talk about it if everybody's white? Why should we talk about race? No? But it doesn't take much for a white Argentina Argentinian to, 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 to realize the hypo- hypocrisy of that discourse that the person uh, is defending because you go to the supermarket or you go to, you, find, you encounter people who are, or you go to a working class neighborhood and the people have darker skin and phenotype is something that you kind of invisibilize. You can through the discourse of the state, but in everyday interaction it's clear that not all Argentinians are white. Uh, and this system is partly uh, sometimes it, it's not just imposed by the state; it's embraced by the large middle Argentine middle class who who want to uh, belong to a white country because obviously that implies they are more advanced and and the notion of whiteness was used. Uh, during the mid 19th, uh, the mid 20th century, to to um, in a way claim that Argentina was also more advanced and and, and had a larger middle class. It was slightly more more uh, more than that, more developed than other Latin American nations. Um, so it was embraced by the middle class, and at times it could be used by the same working class who were, who were subject uh, to racism because it implied. Uh, that they could participate in the national community mm? so uh and that probably uh, so you could say a working-class person could say well i'm white mm? and and through that uh, feel part of the argentina community so uh the whiteness was successful in argentina but at a, pla- pra- at, at a price which is is the fact that it became extremely ambiguous because uh, contrary to the United States, which I, in which I think the idea of, of who is white, who is black, is much more rigid. In Argentina, everybody could at times claim a little bit of whiteness, uh, even if in 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 a, a everyday interaction, uh, obviously working class people who had darker skin continued to experience uh, racism and discrimination. So, I uh, think I think that's partly partly explains. Um, and uh, why Argentina never fully developed a racial movement, a racial political movement. Not that other Latin American countries uh, managed to articulate uh, a, a, a political movement based so only on race, or at least a, ma- a, a massive uh, a mass political movement. But in Argentina, uh, even Peronism, when Peronism emerges in 1940s and Peronism becomes an articulator of the dark-skinned uh, um, uh, working class, who uh, at that time were migrating in mass to the capital city to work in the industry, Peronism becomes an articulator, and and, and clearly the anti-Peronist middle class, uh, particularly in Buenos Aires, uh, uh, uses racial uh, language to um, refer to these masses. There is this this famous uh, phrase, Cabecita Negra, which was used to describe the followers of Perón. So Cabecita Negra is clearly, there is an element of race there, but at the same time, It wasn't a proper racial category because it wasn't supposed to be uh, referring to a phenotype. It was about a lack of civility, lack of of, uh, proper behavior, uh, uh, being a follower of Perón. Um, So Perón was also very ambiguous. He never really embraced race as a central uh, defining uh, element of Perónist identity. And then the concept of cabecita negra uh, used by the middle class to to discriminate the the working class uh, slowly evolved into uh, negro which is is still now used in argentina uh, to refer to um people of of dark skin not necessarily black mostly of the most most of them have indigenous um, ancestry but it's used to uh, in in everyday interaction to refer to to the working class but still it's claimed that it's not about Race in a biological sense—not that race is a biological thing—but at least in a, in in the sense in which it's understood in Anglo-American context, they the negro implies uh, a social uh, status and lack of behavior of proper behavior, etc. So at one point people started to say, "Well, in Argentina there is no a racist um, problem; is uh, is the the problem is has to do with social class." But it's not completely true because race is still as a, as a social variable, as a social mediation in its own right, is um, important in Argentinian society. And uh, and this duality of race, something that is defining people's lives and chances in Argentina, but at the same time is never spoken, is, is supposed to be not existent. Uh, uh, it started to, to be challenged in the 1980s, 1990s. Uh, indigenous people uh, became more uh, active, they became more mobilized. Um, Afro descendant groups slowly started to organize. Um, also, the impact of, of, of multiculturalism as a sort of a, an external discourse in the Central Cartes countries started to impact in Argentina and academics. Uh, started also to uh, be interest in uh, the study, uh, studying of Argentina's Argentina's racial uh, structure. So in the United States, we see um, slowly academics, particularly from the United States, but then a local uh, academics start uh, studying race in Argentina. It's not a coincidence that the first works are produced by academics in the United States, where race is everywhere, right? Yeah, uh, and, and it's not a taboo to talk about race while well, in Argentina. Even now, but particularly in the eighties, nineties, well, why should we talk about race? There is no race. There is no race here. No? Uh, it's a raceless country because everybody's white, which implies, of course, that white whiteness is not a, a racial identity. Yeah, but yeah.
0: sorry, so we see in, in in your book that yeah, that that's a I myth, mean, and it becomes more complicated during the economic crisis in two thousand one yeah. and two thousand two when a Another big actor of your analysis, neoliberalism, is showing other faces in in Argentina. Yeah. So, for those that are not that familiar, what happened during that economic crisis?
1: Well, uh, the 1990s is a moment, is a, is a, is a time in which which had this of heightened neoliberalism. Argentina became one of the most uh, orthodox followers of the Washington Consensus. And during the 90s, there were a lot of neoliberal reforms. At the beginning, they were very successful. They, they were endorsed by the by the, the uh, electorate because suddenly uh, Argentina, uh, uh, the, the, the peso, the, the local currency was pegged to the dollar and people had uh, access to foreign uh, products and uh, people could travel. And, and, and so people became really excited about the, the possibility of consuming um, at that uh, level. Uh, also, because Argentinians always had this this kind of a complex you know, of, of, of they were supposed to be. It was a nation this destined to be great. Uh, one person said we Argentines were doomed to succeed, but that success had never really materialized. So neoliberalism, suddenly people think, well, we are part of the First World, First World, and that was one of the of the the, the slogans of the, the president at the time, Carlos Menon, Argentina is. Entered the first Moon. Argentina now is, is has entered the first war. You can uh, is is participating. Finally, is 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 taking its place in in the kind of the, the transnational uh, network of developed nations and also white nations. No? So, but slowly things start getting more complicated, and and uh, recession starts. Uh, unemployment skyrockets. Um, poverty start, starts increasing and by 2001 the situation is um, is, is extremely, extremely drastic. Uh, we are talking about 25% of people unemployed, uh, a similar number of people employed in precarious uh, jobs without any social security, uh, uh, also a lot of anger at the political establishment. Uh, and in, in December 2001, we have a series of, of protests, uh, riots, food riots. Uh, the president declares a state of siege and people take to the streets. Uh, they, they say, uh, there are a lot of demonstrations throughout the country. A lot of people die because of a very harsh repression. The president uh, resigns. There, there is this odd thing. We have five presidents in a week until somebody finally takes over uh, there is uh, the savings in the banks are frozen, so there are capital controls. People cannot withdraw their money, um, uh, and uh, yeah, the situation is, 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 is very severe. And in this context, produced by neoliberalism, this crisis of of of, of produced by neoliberalism. This is where I, where I start seeing that people not only experience this as, a, oh, yeah, well, the economy, the economy is, in, is, is, is a disaster, but they also see how their aspirations of becoming first world citizens uh, collapse, uh, and they experience this crisis of national identity, but also a crisis of whiteness. And people start thinking, middle class people who were the first ones to endorse this, this notion that Argentina, through neoliberalism, where, um, uh, was entering the first world, these uh, enchanted people they start uh, uh, ex- thinking that they are, they, the nation is becoming darker. The nation is darkening uh, because it's becoming more Latin American. It's becoming poorer, more Latin American, and therefore darker. Uh, so we see, for example, the rise of um, racism, um, target particularly at uh, immigrants from other countries: Bolivians, Peruvians, Paraguayans. So these people coming from uh Darker nations are coming here stealing jobs uh and they are threatening the the national whiteness uh which is something that is interesting because it's a it's very similar to what is happening now in the united states or an, and or uh, or uh, and to an extent in europe you Now, after when when neoliberalism ends in crisis uh people start uh, embracing this nativist discourse uh romanticizing uh, a golden age uh, that had to do with uh, economic prosperity, but also cultural and racial homogeneity. And they start blaming everything on the uh, darker immigrants from other parts of the world. So that started to happen in Argentina in 2001, 2002, so like trendsetters in terms of how to not react. The financial crisis, but what is interesting? Uh, interesting. I also started to uh, uh, identify. I also identify a lot of uh, cultural producers, more bohemian, uh, more progressive, who use this crisis of whiteness uh, to uh, engage critically with this very same discourse, Argentinians—this discourse that Argentinians were all uh, white and, and descendants from Europeans—and they started to produce, uh, to, to produce different forms of cultural production, music, in literature, in art, in cinema, in which they uh, they show uh, the racist nature of Argentinian society. They show the uh, a heterogeneous composition of the national population, and, and they um, basically uh, expose uh, that this uh, discourse of racial homogeneity and whiteness that had been so central in, in articulating definitions of national identity in Argentina in the 20th century was basically uh, a, an ideological construct. Ideological and a, and a, a construct, but also um, something that um, needed to be uh, destroyed, basically.
0: Yeah. So let's talk, you just paved the way to talk about all of these different cultural expressions. And uh, as you said, from music, cinema, uh, you have so many. I'm just going to focus on some of them to give uh, our audience a little taste of all of the complexity of your analysis. And I would like to a talk about one of your chapters titled Amerindians, Fashion Models and Kicketeers, where you analyze artwork that proposes different approaches to race, a main expressions that deal with indigenous populations in Argentina. And these different approaches have a, a different understanding or display of that. But I would like to focus on the fashion calendar. You Mm -hmm. analyze a fashion calendar and also other uh, forms of work art. Uh, I would like uh, you to please uh, describe the calendar for your audience, for our audience. And I would like also to hear a little bit more about the gender aspects related to it. When you talk about the, and I quote, racialized economy of desire that neoliberalism exacerbated, What are the elements that you were taking into account and what were your conclusions?
1: Mm. Uh, Yeah, this particular uh, calendar was a calendar produced by a very famous uh, art photographer uh, who also works in the fashion industry called Gaby Herstein. Uh, And uh, she is is basically every year she produces a calendar which is um, uh, uh, presented uh, uh, and as a sort of an art object to be collected and and, and there is a lot of uh, press around it. And uh, in in the year 2000, the theme, 2001, the theme was indigenous cultures of uh, of Argentina. So uh, each month included a photograph of a fashion model uh, dressed as a particular indigenous uh, culture of the Argentinian territory. Many of them uh, contemporary, but some of them uh, extinct. Um, and I thought it was interesting because the calendar, uh, the narrative of the calendar, because they usually include the text, the narrative was that it, uh, the calendar was in a way recuperating this known whiteness that, as I said, had been invisibilized and excluded from the national community. Uh, and uh, the whole point was to show uh, the the richness of uh, of uh, the the different uh, indigenous groups uh, but I thought there was a, 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 a an interesting contradiction in the sense that instead of of, of of photographing people from these indigenous groups at least the ones that are still uh, they still uh, exist uh, she chose fashion models you no know, very famous fashion models and the whole, uh calendar is is very sexualized because the models are uh, shown with uh some of them uh w- um, showing their breasts and and um, but most of them uh, with very revealing clothes uh so i i tried to connect this to uh what what had happened in argentina in the 1990s uh, uh something that happened in other parts of the world but in argentina had been in a way exacerbated uh by different uh factors Uh, And this had to do with what I call the the neoliberal uh, economy of the style, the way in which bodies are sexualized and the parameters of of beauty and handsomeness. And in Argentina, in the 1990s, the body became a central thing. Um, The body, uh, there was a big meditization of society. So it is the moment in which the TV channels are privatized. We see the impact of cable television. Argentina becomes the... The country in Latin America with more subscribers subscribers to uh, cable TV, uh, and everybody's sexualizing uh, everybody, you know, even politicians. Uh, politicians are dating fashion models. Uh, male politicians, uh, female politicians are portrayed uh, wearing revealing clothes in in political magazines. Uh, and the president menon is somebody is, is 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 constantly making references to his different affairs, and he likes to. Uh, point out that he has uh, he had uh, meetings with uh, different female celebrities like Madonna or Claudia Schiffer. Uh, uh, and, and he likes to make suggestions about things that might not might have happened. Uh, so I thought well, the, the calendar is is an interesting example of how uh, the 1990s neoliberalism, Became um, uh, in this context of neoliberalism, the body became hypersexualized, but according to very specific uh, parameters of beauty, which had to do with being white, uh, being European, or having European ancestry, and it's not a conscious that many who uh, uh, was uh, who is uh, short and he comes from the interior of Argentina, he has Turkish background, so therefore he's not fully white uh like to brag about his meetings with these female celebrities or uh well madonna' is not very tall but but she's kind of white and 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 they and blonde and and shusha and karshi so this idea that he uh, uh can have access to these white women but also he's whitening himself by being with these white women so i took that to the and i, I started to analyze the, the the calendar according to these different uh, uh um, elements and i saw how uh, the calendar, of course, was extremely problematic in the sense that you had uh, this white, uh, very beautiful, beautiful, well, beautiful according to, the, to these parameters of beauty, uh, very beautiful female fashion models, uh, very sexualized, uh, acting or posing as indigenous um, uh, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, well, this shows also how this, this, causes, this critical discourses of whiteness in Argentina at the same time, had their own issues mm-hmm. because they were uh, many of them were criticizing and criticizing and whiteness in Argentina and this uh, this and racism in Argentina, but through um, the embracement of uh, another neoliberal problem, which is. Uh, a Kind of postmodern multiculturalism that uh, celebrates uh, indigenous cultures or non white cultures as long as they are not threatening to the state and to um, the markets. No? And this is what uh, I don't remember the name of the author at the moment, but it's, it's, it's this uh, has been described as the permitted Indian, the Indio permitido. No? Um, so that showed uh, an interesting uh, dimension of many of these critical discourses that I have studied. Many are progressive in multiple ways, but uh, many of them also uh, reproduce certain aspects of neoliberalism that have to do with a very light understanding of multiculturalism. Uh, An understanding of multiculturalism as as a structure that celebrates diversity as long as it's valuable for the market and as long as it's not a political, uh, it doesn't pose any threats to the status quo. So uh, I I think this calendar offers a a good example of that. Uh, But I also found that there is a certain possibility of uh, supporting this this the the, the calendar uh, through uh, uh, what could be uh, described as as a a taste for kitsch. No, when you see. Uh, this very, kind of, again, very uh, according to the neoliberal economic desire, very beautiful. Why models portray indigenous cultures? You instantly they are, the the photos are very kitsch, uh, and if you if you this kitsch leads you to instantly uh, see the discrepancy between the model and what the model is supposed to represent. Uh, and you clearly see that these people are not indigenous. So whiteness, the whiteness of the mother, which it wouldn't be, uh, it would be invisible in any other context in the sense that in Argentina, because everybody's white, whiteness is naturalized and is taken for granted. But in this case, the whiteness comes to the fore because it's instantly uh, catching your attention. Well, this is not an indigenous person. So whiteness becomes denaturalized. It becomes, uh, it's exposed. So at least, I think unwittingly, the calendar ends up uh, showing the, uh, the ideological dimension of Argentina's discourse of race. And I think in that sense, you could say that the calendar could eventually perhaps allow for a, critical, a more critical engagement with one than the one that uh, the, the author and, and the first reading of the calendar might uh, suggest.
0: And let's talk about other bodies and other uh, stories you have in your book. Mm. Your book is rich of engaging stories, and as I told you of we could talk about them, but we don't have, sadly, as much time. <laughs> but one of these really uh, engaging stories is in Chapter 4, where you study mm. Bolivian immigrants as a racialized figure, as yeah. signifiers of no, non-whiteness in films. The opening paragraphs of this chapter describe an infamous soccer match in two thousand and nine. Argentina lost against Bolivia six goals to one. What was the cultural significance of that match, and how it's related to the
1: films you researched mm. well um, that particular chapter. This with Bolivian immigrants, because as I said before, in this context of neoliberal crisis, there was a, a rise of racist, uh, racist anti-immigration discourses like the ones we are experiencing, we are seeing now in Europe and in the United States. And the Bolivian was uh, hailed as the figure of most of, of complete otherness. So there was racism against all immigrants, but the Bolivian was identified as kind of the most radical difference uh, to uh, in relation with this ideal of Argentinian whiteness, uh, uh, and to the point that many dark skin working-class Argentinians started to be uh, insulted uh, by uh, by being called Bolivians. Mm. Mm. Uh, so Bolivians became the signifier of of, of of darkness of of non-whiteness. Uh, uh, and allowed maintaining the notion that uh, this non-whiteness was coming from abroad. The Argentinians were all white because you could say this: uh, this you have a dark-skinned person in the street, that's a uh, Bolivian, right? It's not Argentinian. No, so uh, it, it was instrumental in this sense. Uh, and the match—it was a good excuse to kick off the discussion of of the role of of, of this racialization of Bolivians, how Bolivians who are uh, Bolivianness is a nationality. Why it became a race in the context of uh, of these neoliberal cards in Argentina? Uh, the match is a good excuse because Argentinians were went there to play with against Bolivia, and they were trash. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, football is uh, soccer is is, is, a, is, a, is a essential uh, aspect of a national identity, like because it allows Argentinians to maintain these notions that notion that they are a country destined to greatness because. Uh, yeah, well, the socioeconomic indicators might, might not be great. Uh, Argentina is not a um, developed country, but we are a nation uh, of, of great soccer. No? So we are very powerful in the soccer world. So this that is one of the few things that allow Argentinians to maintain this notion that they are a, a nation destined to greatness. So when they lose 6-1 to one against the Bolivian team, or it, the, the, uh, uh, it's not just a shame, because of the of the of the, the scale of the defeat, it's a shame because they lost against Bolivia, a country that is not only weak in in, the, in terms of soccer, but it's a country of uh, of, of of non-white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, summarizes uh, in a way, or not summarizes, but illustrates the particular place of Bolivian names within within Argentinian discourses of race. Uh, and this, uh, I use this to, to as, a, as I say, as an excuse to, to uh, engage in the in the way in which Bolivians were used to uh, maintain the illusion of Argentina as a white country that was being dark, uh, was becoming darker because of this invasion of immigrants, uh, 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 and, and in a way canalize this racial anxieties of the Argentinian middle class that was. Uh, experiencing uh, unemployment and uh, precarity, etc., etc.
0: And uh, we opened this conversation and you were talking about your interest in youth culture and music and you're closing chapters with youth music and subversion, I would say. You Mm. particularly explore Cumbia Villera. Who are villeros and how did cumbia, or this particular genre, became an expression of resistance for young men
1: and women? Yeah, uh, cumbia villera is, is a variety of cumbia, which is a, originally a Colombian genre, but is, is popular throughout Latin America and also in in, in other parts of the world. Uh, it's a variety of the, this particular kind of music that emerged in the shanty towns in, in, in the late 1990s and in the early 2000s experienced a, a boom. It became quite um, commercially very successful, but also very controversial because the lyrics are uh, about crime, about the celebration of drugs, of uh, alcohol. They are very sexist, and women are put in a, in a really kind of a, they are con- constantly denigrated in these lyrics. So it's a little bit like a gangster rap, if we want a, a, a quick a, analogy uh, to uh, a, 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 a quick comparison. Um, with something that people might be more familiar with. Uh, so I, my position in this chapter is that this controversy, uh, it generated a huge controversy to the point that it was censored by the state, the press, the, 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 and it was demonized by the press and the media. Uh, this, The controversy around this genre, yeah, it has to do with uh, the fact that they celebrated uh, drug consumption and crime and uh, sexism, but it did so, uh, uh by bringing all these different elements together and constructing an identity that is, is proudly uh non-white mm-hmm. so uh, it it did it it brought all these different themes together uh and creating an ideal and a uh, kind of a, an ideal of of, of youth uh, uh identity that was clearly uh, defined uh, whiteness mm-hmm. um exposing uh, the how whiteness functions uh, uh, as, as a, an articulator of uh, domination within Argentinian society. So I started to uh, study the lyrics and the rhythms and the history of this, uh, of this genre, and I found something interesting. Most of these people, uh, they create a very ambiguous notion of um, that, that, as I said, is intrinsically non-white, and most of the people in the Shanty town, as I said before, they, they, they are um, uh, mixed race and most of them have indigenous phenotypes, but they, they created this ideal in which they started to uh, compare themselves with uh, uh, black people or with a certain uh, in transnational blackness mm, uh, that, uh, that possessed all the stereotypes associated to blacks, that they are, uh, good, uh, with the, they are good at, they have rhythm, they are good at dancing, the, 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 the stereotype of the black man as, as sexually powerful, etc. So I found something, I found, I found it interesting how these people in an Argentinian shantytown um, who were constantly being um, uh, marginalized, and it's important to remember, these are the people who like this music, they were young, growing out in a context in which uh, there was no future no Argentina was in the in the process of a huge economic crisis there was no job uh, working class masculinities had or, or uh, traditional working-class masculinities have were, were not, not valid anymore uh, so I find interesting how they started to uh, establish these imaginary connections with certain notions of, of blackness of transnational blackness that in a way, were quite different from their reality, but nonetheless, through the music and through other, other forms of, of other, other, other patterns, they, uh, they were connected. Mm. Uh, and so I look at that particular construction of, of an alternative form of working class masculinity that, uh, as I said, proudly presented itself as non-white, uh, that exposed the racialized nature of Argentinian society, that showed how, uh, in the context of a neoliberal crisis, uh, uh, race and racism uh, was becoming more uh, prominent. Uh, and at the same time, I look at uh, the role of women within this this yes. uh, this uh, framework. Cumbia Villera is extremely sexist. as I said before. The lyrics, I mean, there is no point in, uh, in me quoting the lyrics, but they, they, they really portray women... As 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 uh, the worst as 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 um, um, you call it? Uh, women, uh, there, there is this stereotype of of the slug of the woman who likes to have sex with everybody, and and that is shown as something really bad, and and the the women are constantly being used by by the the the, the narrative, charac- the characters in the lyrics, etc. So I draw on, on previous uh, work that has not been done by me, but by, by by anthropologists, uh, like. Um, on why women, despite these very sexy lyrics, still engage and, and enjoy uh, cumbia viguera. So uh, I, I, I am quoting these works when I, I, I mentioned in my book that uh, uh, actually these women were re-signifying the stigma of, of, of being an easy woman, and instead demonstrating that what uh, this, uh, this idea of the easy woman was, uh, was in fact a woman who was uh, comfortable with her sexuality, who was becoming an agent of uh, their sexuality, of her, of, of, uh, her sexuality, who was uh, in a way becoming more independent, uh, who wasn't following following the established uh, parameters of, of behavior and expectations associated to traditional working class women. And also I found that this beyond lyrics, uh, something that I, I, I also mentioned in that chapter, beyond lyrics, music is something that is rhythmical, it's kinetic. So, Cumbia Villera because of its particular characteristics, is, is very slow, it has a kind of a very uh, draggy uh, um, uh, sound. Uh, it allows people to dance alone without necessarily dancing with a partner, without uh, any uh, comp- without complicated choreographies, uh, without necessarily having to be in the dance hall with a, a man. Uh, uh, as its is The case in traditional cumbia. So, this allowed women to also be more independent in the nightclub, inside the nightclub at least, right? In the sense that they could dance alone or dance with their girlfriends and and do whatever they wanted. Uh, At least uh, within the context of the dance hall, of course, there is a lot of sexism and misogyny and, and violence against women in Argentina. But from the point of view of dance, of the, of the dancing, Cumbia Vigera allowed this freedom. And that also explains why they the women were uh, still uh, interested in this kind of music, despite the sexist uh, lyrics. So it's also about uh, not just uh, analyzing what a certain culture producer says, but also how it's been received and appropriated and subverted as well. Yeah,
0: that's that's fascinating. And almost two decades after the crisis, what are your thoughts about race, neoliberalism, and cultural expressions in the, const- in the current political context in Argentina? Mm. Uh,
1: for me, uh, w- why I think this this work is relevant is uh, partly because it contributes to uh, the scholarship on, on, on race in Argentina, which is something that academics are starting to look at. But as I say, it is still under discussed, and particularly focused on race in the context of the crisis, which is something that few people have done. Um, uh, and it also uh, offers some uh, perspectives to understand what happened afterwards. You know, in the aftermath of the crisis, when the situation became more normal, it became normalized. We have the government of the Kishners, uh, and the Kishners, in a way, channelized. Many of these uh, claims for a more inclusive notion of the nation uh, that, have be, that was the result of the, of, of the 2001 2002 crisis. So, so, if you look at many of the policies that the Kishner uh, uh, couple uh, carried out, at, at least in cultural terms, is about uh, a shifting from this notion of a white Argentina to uh, an Argentina that celebrates its um, uh, ethnic uh, and cultural diversity. And it's interesting to see how uh, uh, there is a big contrast between the 1920 celebration of of the centenary of Argentina's independence and the 2010, which is the bicentennial of Argentina independence. In 1910, uh, it's all about celebrating Argentina's uh, connect, uh, links and relations with European countries. And in 2001, uh, it's the opposite. It's about uh, celebrating uh, immigrants, communities, uh, Afro-descendants, indigenous cultures. And there, is a, there are uh, many cultural events in which uh, we see a, a shift towards, as I say, a more heterogeneous understanding of Argentina, which, as I say, is the legacy of the crisis. also the legacy of multiculturalism as a discourse that is, 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 in a way, um, is, 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 uh, is present in many countries. So, for me, uh, the work is relevant because it, sh- it shows that one of the more long-lasting uh, consequences of the crisis was at the level of national identity and uh, cultural identities. A cultural identities, the way in which, which Argentinians see themselves. At the same time, there are a lot of um, Black and white in the way in which the Kishners uh, dealt with with racial issues because they mined, they continued with extractive industries that put a lot of pressure on indigenous communities, uh, mining, uh, agribusiness, uh, oil. Uh, so it's a Janus face when uh, there's, there's this duality to the Kishners. Uh, they uh, were complicit many times in the um, uh, harassment of indigenous communities and the the violation of their rights, which are part of the constitution. But thought it was interesting, at least from the cultural point of view, that they were echoing these claims from certain sectors of society that to revise uh, the way the Argentina's racial identity. What is happening now, I think, is is uh, in the in uh, in the context of a conservative reaction, embodied by the the the, the figure of uh, President Macri. Uh, I think. Uh, Although uh, Macri is trying to go back to certain ideas um, that are, can be characterized as pre-crisis, and is 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 trying to sort of um, uh, turn the, the, the clock back in certain areas, for example, human rights, he started to to doubt about uh, the number of people disappeared during the dictatorship. So there is an attempt to uh, recuperate certain conservative discourses that were quite established in Argentina, I think uh, there is no way in which he can go back to this this um, this notion that Argentina is intrinsically white. Because I don't think s- social movements are going to allow him to do that. Uh, nonetheless, he is uh, accelerating or, or strengthening many measures that were in place before. Uh, a Emma, um, Mapuche Emma activist was killed a few months ago and another person who was as um, not, he was killed by the the, the police uh, in a, in a, uh, who was who were repressing a protest in Patagonia. Another person, Santiago Maldonado, was also he died in, in very devious circumstances. Also uh, while he participated in a in a protest by Mapuches. Uh, <clears throat> Macri has also uh, changed the immigration laws that Kirchner had. Um, 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 Put forward, which was much more inclusive than the one we have now. Uh, so there is a return to certain racist discourses, but I don't think we we can say we can. I don't think that, that this this is a necessarily a complete return to um, this notion of this this Argentinian whiteness as as a central pillar of of national identity. But nonetheless, it's important that social movements keep the pressure, artists as well, and my book shows how how the role of artists here, to put pressure in order to increase uh, the the visibility uh, and and the the role of of, uh, non-white people in Argentina and to continue uh, strengthening the, 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 the discourse that Argentina is a heterogeneous country. I think also the book offers some interesting um, uh, ideas to anybody who is um, following what's happening in, in many Anglo in 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 the in the US and in in Europe, in the sense that we have a disenchantment disenchantment with neoliberalism, with the idea of cosmopolitanism as neoliberalism, the, the idea of cosmopolitanism that neoliberalism had put forward, the notion that well we are all multicultural societies, again, a very mild notion of multiculturalism, but still a notion of multiculturalism. Uh, And they are embracing nativist and racist discourses. Uh, And and there is a a widespread preoccupation uh, regarding the possible darkening of of the nation in in Britain, in in the US, in in other parts of, of, of the world. So I think the book can also be useful Uh, Because it shows that many places that are taking place now, here, I'm in Britain, but also in other parts of the world, were already taking place in Argentina.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I I couldn't uh, agree more. When reading, we might uh, think of Argentina and all of these exceptions that you said, like, well, they are not such. I think that's one of the richness of your book. Like, this book can talk to different audiences because... Those uh, consequences of neoliberalism are taking place mm. in this globalized world everywhere, yeah. and migrants and and bodies are becoming figures of um, of acceptance or rejection. So I think that yeah. is really really interesting. And of course, we will stay tuned to what happens in Argentina and to what happens in your research agenda. What mm-hmm. are your a uh,
1: Next projects? Are you working on something now? Yeah, at the moment I'm I'm starting a new research project that has to do with has to do with the uh, popular culture in the in the Andean countries, um, particularly with certain um, uh, with the the impact of digital technology in uh, in these countries and how they uh, uh, allow indigenous people to uh, negotiate their their place. Not only within the national community, but also in a globalized world. I mean, there are a, a, a lot of research on the uses of digital technology by indigenous um, political movements and social movements. But I, I'm trying to sort of take a different uh, path because my uh, I'm 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 researching on on things that are quite um, from a point from a political point of view, they are quite uh, uh, mild or or even completely apolitical. Uh, certain uh, singers and certain artists and musicians who uh, have uh, produced very kitsch uh, videos uh, on YouTube, uh, and uh, the different receptions of these uh, videos, and uh, how uh, a kitsch uh, uh, can be used as a, as a category that allows understanding uh, the hybrid nature of these cultural productions. In a, a very, in a world that is increasingly, or in, a, in, a, in a Latin America that is increasingly uh, being transformed by the impact of digital technologies. So it's basically revising the, this discussion about the hybrid nature of, or the heterogeneous nature of Latin American societies, by focusing on how digital technology uh, has impact this, and how it's being used by these indigenous people who are not necessarily De, uh, uh, um, embracing uh, 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 the discourse of identity politics to put forward an alternative way of being indigenous in Latin America.
0: That sounds like a great project, Ignacio. Okay. Uh, and I want to thank you for being on the show today. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed
1: it. Take care. Thank you very much uh, to you uh, for your time and, uh, and for having me and, and for the questions. And I hope it it makes sense all the things I said.
0: (laughs) It, it does. It does make sense. Thank you very much. Bye.
1: Thank you. Bye.